Good morning, everyone. We're going to be reading a Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. So that's on page 1235 of the Church Bibles or up on the screen. So Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who hold the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Casey. Let's just pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're in Revelation, chapter 3, page 1235, if you've got the Bibles handy, do, uh, do keep it open. I think one of the problems with these letters is that we see it's written to some town called Sardis, and we kind of think it's not for us. It's a bit like when you get those emails that say, if you receive this email in error, you know, please disregard it, which of course means you read it, but then you, you disregard it. And it's tempting to do the same with these letters, isn't it? But just, just look at verse 6 before we start. The Spirit says, whoever has ears, listen to what I've got to say. So first off, we look at something like this and we don't think, well, it's, <clears throat> it's for someone else. This is a letter that's addressed to us. The sound's like it's coming and going. Sound all right? Keep going? All right. Uh, this is a letter that is as much to us as it was to the folk living in Turkey <clears throat> a couple of thousand years ago. And he's talking to us about our reputation. That's the big word that comes up right at the beginning, isn't it? About our reputation and our spiritual health. Now, we in Hove, we know about reputations, don't we? I don't know whether you remember this sign. I think it was probably the most awful sign. <clears throat> it used to be on the A27. Welcome to Hove, a distinguished resort. Those of you who are watching online, just sit back in envy because we are a distinguished resort. Well, frankly, if you walk from our house down to the seafront and you go through the clutter of the building site and Jewel Street and the King Alfred, we don't really feel very distinguished, do we? It's a reputation that perhaps isn't very well 
deserved. <clears throat> and the city of Sardis, all these, all these um, towns in these letters, they all have a little backstory that help us understand the thrust of the letter. You don't have to know the backstory, but it's helpful. Uh, and uh, Sardis uh, had a reputation. It had a reputation for being a sort of impregnable city of gold. Very, very strong. A huge fortress at the top. Very, very rich. It was the city of Croesus and Midas. You remember Midas touch, Goldfinger, all that stuff? That was kind of its reputation. But it was all an illusion. There wasn't really any gold there. Just a lot of fast traders making a fast buck. And it certainly wasn't impregnable. I mean, it was famous for the number of times that actually the, that they had thought they were safe when they were under attack, and they really weren't. There was one occasion that, that's well recorded in history uh, when the Persian army attacks this place, and there's a sentry, they didn't have many sentries on duty, but there was one who knocked his helmet off the wall. And in the sight of all the Persian army, he climbs over the wall goes down the cliff, picks up his helmet, and goes back up again with it. And so the army simply follow him up and capture the city. They had a reputation, but they were complacent. They thought they were okay, but they really weren't. And then here's Jesus saying to the Christians, verse 1, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. It's very strong. I mean, really, when you compare it to what Jesus says to the other churches, this is the most extreme. You think you're alive, but you're dead. Francis Schaeffer said, churches die long before they cease to exist. Churches die long before they cease to exist. And that seems to be what's happening here. Here is a church that still exists, but it's dead. And there's this phrase we've seen in other, other letters. First one, Jesus says, I know your deeds. Now, you could do a whole sermon on that, but one thing that tells us is that there are deeds. There's stuff happening in this church and yet, and yet. And at this point, if you're in a church like us, I think we immediately take the spiritual high ground, don't we? We sort of say, I know the sort of church he's talking about. He's talking about that church down the road that does brilliant concerts or does lots of work in the community that, you know, they're not preaching the gospel. They're not really being very Christian at all. Not like us at Bishop Hannington. But those who have ears, let them hear. This letter is for us as well. And it's very interesting. This word, alive, Jesus uses doesn't come through in our translation, but it is helpful to, to, to look behind it. The word Jesus uses here for being alive is kind of the word in English we get the word zoo from. 
Now, I, I think it only came in the back end of a conversation with Ben earlier, but you went somewhere zoo-like, and it was a huge disappointment, wasn't it? Do not go to Ben for advice on visiting zoos. Um, but if you go to somewhere like Drew Sillers, it's teeming with life, which obviously Ben's venue wasn't. Uh, all sorts of life, all sorts of stuff going on. And that is the image Jesus is using here. So this isn't a church that just runs the odd concert. This is a church that, as well as that, is running Alpha, and it's got prayer meetings, and it's got uh, mission partners, and it's got great Bible teaching, the whole range of what you would expect in a lively church. And yet Jesus says, you've got a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. So he says, what are you going to do? Verse 2, you've got to wake up. In fact, there's a, there's a little bit of a sort of a, a wider meaning behind that word. It's sort of wake up and keep watch. It's kind of reminding us back to those centuries who weren't awake, who weren't keeping watch. God looks on the heart. He says, I can see lots of deeds going on. But there's no real life. And it's particularly interesting, I think, that Jesus says, you've got this reputation in a place like Sardis. I mean, Sardis was somewhere where we just heard everybody was very busy making money. And everybody was actually feeling quite secure and safe. They, they, they thought they were fine behind their walls. In fact, not only that, it was also the, the home of perhaps one of the most extreme cults in the Roman Empire. It was so extreme, the Romans had to sort of tone it down a little bit uh, because it was perhaps the most sexually violent cult worship you could find anywhere in the empire. So there's all this stuff going on, and yet within that, the church has a good reputation. People thought well of the church, despite a lifestyle and a culture that was completely at odds to it. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen that a church that should be challenging what's going on is kind of seen as fitting in and having a good reputation? Well, I think to understand that, we have to look at uh, how Jesus describes their deeds in verse 2. Can you see? He says, I have found your deeds unfinished. Now, that's deeply worrying for someone like me. I am great at starting things uh, and terrible at finishing things. Um, luckily, my wife is completely the opposite. Uh, so, you know, I will make a huge mess in the kitchen and she will clear it up. And we're very happy in our complementary roles. I think... But I needn't worry, because you just need to finish what this verse says. Look at verse 2. It says, your deeds are unfinished in the sight of God. So it doesn't mean you never get to the end of your Alpha course or you missed a prayer meeting. It means there's something fundamentally missing that means what you're doing is a waste of time. All these activities somehow leave God out of it. This is salt that's lost its saltiness. And there are two clues in the passage that tell us exactly 
what this means, what, 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 what's going on. Um, clue number one is a sort of clue that isn't there. But if you were to compare this letter with the other letters and the ones we've already looked at, um, there's no hint here of any persecution or of any opposition. You know, whatever this church does is not challenging outsiders. What it means, whatever we're doing is not really challenging our friends or our colleagues or our neighbours. It's not even challenging in this context the folk involved in this cult worship. Having no effect at all on the outside world. And there's a hint of that in verse 4. Can you see uh, verse 4? Jesus says, there are few of you who have not soiled your clothes. That's kind of clue number two. Now, I'm sorry, this is, it gets a bit unpleasant at this point. Um, but the, the, the worship that was going on behind this, uh, you, you, you would dress in white. Okay, we started, so we finish. Um, you then indulge uh, in, in, a, in a huge sexual frenzy. And in the middle of all this, you castrate yourself. Um, that may not be a form of worship we would readily adopt here, but, I mean, it was off the scale in extremeness. And you can imagine, that's why your white robes would get a little bit soiled with all that going on. It's a very horrible graphic image underlying all this. But it's saying, that is what a lot of folk have done in this church. They fit it in. You can do all the churchy stuff, but deep down, you're going along with society. And we know in our own lives, don't we, how easy that is to do. Of course it is. We know as we leave this place, when we start talking to our friends at work, in the workplace, at college or over our neighbours, how easy it is to fit in. We're in the middle of LGBTQ History Month. I think that's a particularly challenging time if you're in the workplace, or at school, or at college. Not to go along with some of the values that are being pumped out at us. Martin Luther said, faith is a perturbing thing. But apparently it wasn't in Sardis. But the fact is, it should be. Our lives should be challenging other people. Um, you will get very bored if you talk to me and Judith for the next few days about how we are or what we've been doing because we just come back from the Chichester Diocesan Pilgrimage uh, and it was a uh, quite an intense experience. Um, if you look on the Diocesan uh, blog, there's a very, Diocesan website, there's a very good blog written up going through it. But on one occasion we sat uh, on the mountaintop a few days ago reading the whole of a Sermon on the Mount right through on the hillside where Christ preached it or might have preached it. And I think we were all struck how radically different we are called to be. Perhaps that's something to do this afternoon. Just read through Matthew 5, three, four chapters of what our lives should look like. And the Lord says, you know, he says, they persecute me they're going to persecute you. If we live like this, we're going to experience some sort of opposition. In fact, really, if we're not experiencing opposition in our daily lives, 
if that's not your experience and my experience, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong in our daily walk. Well, what are we to do about that? As we reflect on this and think, oh, crumbs, yeah, that might be our situation. What do we do about it? Look at verse 3. Jesus says, remember what you have received and heard. Now, I don't know, but received and heard, that could just be a way of just listening. But he could be saying what you've received, that could be the letters. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and they went to the area. And we know that the folk in Sardis would have heard Paul's preaching in Ephesus. It was the same region. Acts 19 says everybody from the region came and heard Paul preach. And Jesus doesn't say exactly what it is you've received and heard here, does he? He doesn't say what we're supposed to be thinking about, but we perhaps can get a bit of a summary of it if we look at the beginning of Ephesians. We won't turn to it now. It's a long, it's a, it's a complicated uh, uh, a letter. But just to help us think, well, what is it? What is it that Jesus is saying? I've got to get back in touch with, if you like. Um, chapter 1 of Ephesians is a sort of <clears throat> a long, rambling sentence that Paul just goes off on one. But it sort of summarises the whole gospel. And this is my sort of Reader's Digest version. I don't know if the Reader's Digest still exists, but you know what I mean. A sort of summarised version. And, and Paul says, look, when we trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're marked for heaven. We receive the Holy Spirit. And God loves us. And God will always love us. And we have become holy and blameless in his sight. And all that will affect how we live out our day-to-day lives. So that's what they've heard. That's what we've heard. For many of us, that's nothing new. We've been hearing that gospel message day in, day out, as we just heard from John Haynes uh, for years and years and years. I don't know what it is about beards, by the way. I'd love to have to try one sometime. But, you know, this message wasn't new for the people of Sardis, but something's gone wrong. They've lost the plot. And Jesus ends that verse 3 saying, repent. And repentance is a serious thing, isn't it? It isn't a, 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 a bit of an academic exercise or, or, or a little bit of a mindfulness reflection. This is a serious call to look at our lives and saying, am I losing touch with the gospel? Am I living out my faith, really, at home, at work? Are we full of Christian busyness, but actually not not full of the Holy Spirit? We'll come back. We're going to have an opportunity to, to just think about that in a bit more. But just to add to the seriousness of it, Jesus says, look, if you don't do that, if we don't repent, verse 3, I'm going to come like a thief. Effectively, I think, a thief in the night, because he's saying you're asleep. So I'm going to come while you're asleep. And like the town of Sardis, while the sentry slept, we will fall. You know, we've been burgled a few times at night. It's it's not quite habit-forming, but it does happen uh, for some reason in our house. And every time it's happened, 
I'd been blissfully asleep, snoozing away under the duvet. Quite comfortable, quite secure, quite relaxed. And then you come downstairs in the morning and there's a hole where the TV used to be. Or there's a gap where the computer used to be. Uh, On one occasion, there was a gap where the car used to be. They'd used the car to take away the TV and the computer and everything else. And this horrible sense of loss. I was comfortable, but a thief came in the night and I lost everything. And that's the image Jesus uses here. And because that's so serious, we're going to do something we don't uh, normally do uh, in a service, but we're just going to stop. We're just going to stop for a moment and pause and perhaps use the silence now just to reflect on the great truth of the gospel and just perhaps repent where we've compromised, where we've fitted in, perhaps where we've been more dead than alive. And if the silence is interrupted by people coming and going, that doesn't matter. This is your personal time for silence. So I'm going to allow two or three minutes, and then we'll come back. the Lord's been speaking to you over the last couple of minutes and you want to talk with myself or Nick, Ben, house group leader or whatever, do use that opportunity after the service. But of course we haven't got to the end of the letter, have we? We saw in verse 2, all is not lost because even the dead can wake up. We've seen some amazing rescue stories, haven't we, in earthquake in, uh, in Turkey and Syria, of people who were thought lost, who have been rescued. Well, Ephesians 5.14 has something similar. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So there is hope, and there are wonderful promises for those who repent and who simply live for Jesus. And let's just look at those as we finish very quickly. Four promises. I'll try to get them all on one slide because I lose track of the clicker otherwise. So look at this. Uh, verse 4, chapter 1. They will walk with me, says Jesus. That, that perfect relationship. Broken in Eden. When God simply wanted to go for a walk with Adam, his friend. That relationship will be restored. We'll be going for a stroll with God. Stephen won't enjoy it, but the rest of us Unless he's going to Sainsbury's. Verse 2, we'll be dressed in white. Uh, white, I mean, we know that, don't we? It's an image of purity, uh, but it's also, in those days, an image of power. Uh, it's perfection. Uh, it's actually an, an image of festivity, of fun. Um, this is, I mean, you probably can't really quite see what's going on there, but that apparently is, is a white party, uh, the Marriott Privilege White Party in Sydney. Huge event, a great outdoor uh, party. But you had to be dressed in white. Well, life with Christ is even better than the Marriott Privilege Party because it goes on now 
and forever. And then verse 5, our names will never be blotted out of the book of life. That's not a threat that they might be. It's a reassurance that our eternal future is secure. Our names are written in that register in indelible ink. There is no more worrying about our future. It is safe and secure with the Lord Jesus. And then verse 5 again, Jesus says he will acknowledge us before his Father and his angels. That wonderful moment when we say, yes, I belong. That Marriott party, uh, you only give them the, uh, the, the venue uh, at very short notice. You have to be registered in advance. You have to be vetted in advance. You have to be on the VIP list. And then you're allowed in. Jesus says, you're on my VIP list. We are picked. I will acknowledge you before the Father and the angels. Four wonderful promises to wrap up a pretty somber letter, to be honest. But what fantastic hope. So we are to worry. This is a letter to make us worry. And we take these warnings seriously. It says you can look super spiritual. People can say nice things about you. But God looks on our heart. And maybe we have to sometimes think again. Remember the gospel truths and repent and wake up. And then we look forward and can enjoy this life of restored relationship with our great God. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says.